guys, welcome to Rank and Vile, the podcast where we are ranking every single horror movie ever made in the history of horror movies and also ranking things from uh, best to worst. And on this episode, uh, Glory Hallelujah, we are joined by uh, podcasters from Scream Scene, uh, Ben and Sarah Rowe. Hello. Hello. It is, uh, so we should um, preface this with um, our podcasts are uh, uh, suspiciously similar in pretty much every aspect. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are from Scream Scene, the podcast where we're ranking every horror movie ever made in chronological order from best to worst. See, this Im- implies like a level of scholarship on your podcast that I don't think Rank and Vile necessarily does because you're you're going chronologically. Yeah, we took the hard route. Um, <laughs> I, I so so here's the thing: if you, I think there's actually a lot of listener overlap mm-hmm. between oh, our definitely. audiences um, because it seems like a lot of the same people listen to both our shows but if you are someone who just listens to rank and vile and you don't know us um our show started the same month your show did i think the same Um, week even yes i think we have approximately the same number of episodes um and our premises are almost exactly the same and we definitely did not know about each other beforehand (laughs) It, uh, it, it was it was which it was delightful because I feel like with many other podcasts it would it would sort of devolve into like well we had the idea first and I think with our with um, both of our podcasts like with all of us it was just like Spider Man pointing at Spider Man meme mm-hmm. it's like that genius moment strikes multiple people at once yeah yeah we're yeah. not going to talk about which one of us is the prestige and which one of us is the illusionist but <laughs> or or which of us is the deep impact. Right, uh, and which one of us is Armageddon? Exactly, exactly. So, um, which so when we have um, new uh, guests on the podcast, I think the 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 question I like to ask is, what is both of your background with horror movies like? Have you um, have you always been a big horror fan, or did you sort of come to it later? Or what 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 does that what does that look like for both of you? When we started, was actually not a huge fan of horror. I didn't hate it, but it, it was never something I really seeked out. Um, the reason we chose horror was because it was a genre that neither Ben nor I really knew a whole lot about. So Mm -hmm. it was something that we could do together and kind of learn together. And now I've really come to really appreciate the finer details. I I wouldn't so so much as say I'm a connoisseur of horror, but I'm definitely like... An intellectual, I guess, yeah, about horror yeah. movies. I, I've always really loved the horror genre, but um, it, it's funny because now that we've been doing a show about it for mm-hmm. um, 190 weeks, um, people go like, oh, you're the horror guys, like, right? And I've always loved the genre, but it's not actually my favorite. And Ooh, wait, what is, what is your favorite? My favorite genre is actually science fiction. Excellent. Um, but... What what happened was we had the idea to do the podcast first. We we wanted to do a podcast together, mm-hmm. and we we always have really good discussions around movies. Um, Sarah and I met in a film studies class in university. Oh, that's lovely. Um, so, <laughs> thank you for like, me. It's lovely and not hugely nerdy. <laughs> We're all podcasters here. See, my, my frame of reference for film uh, film classes in movies is like the the discussion in Scream Two about sequels. So I'm just picturing like two people just off screen being like, "This conversation sucks. Do you want to go get a drink or something?" 
<laughs> so yeah, so we had the idea to do the podcast when we started. Sarah was working for um, a radio station, so she has a wow. background in audio production. My background's film and video production, and um, we wanted to have a structure to the show because you know the fact of the matter is is like people watch movies and talk about them. Podcasts are. Mm-hmm a dime a dozen like yeah absolutely decided we wanted to do a ranking show um mostly because i really like shows like um war rocket ajax and hark which oh, are both yeah. ranking shows right um and then we wanted to do a genre because that would help focus it and then we went to horror because we both like the horror genre and it's yeah. also a genre that lets you talk about a lot of things because i think the thing that sarah likes most about horror is the fact that it can tie into history and culture and society and all these other things because she's got a english literature and communications background I of course like, yeah i like digging into things and like when i watch media or read books or anything like that i like mm-hmm. seeing it as a little bit of a sandbox that i can kind of like play in and think about even yeah. if it's just like armchair theorizing and horror really allows you to do that. Well, and especially because, I mean, you're totally right. Like because sort of the monsters or metaphors thing, like yes. generally, if you look at the horror produced during a period, it gives you such a window into what everybody was kind of anxious about at the time it was made. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly it. And so it was a genre that was going to give us a lot to talk about, but also because it wasn't, it was a genre we both enjoy, but neither of us, it wasn't our favorites for either of us. It meant that, because what I really wanted to avoid was the show where like one host knows everything and the other host doesn't know anything. Oh, like the dollop. Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't want to have that kind of structure, especially if say we were doing something like sci-fi and it was like the, Oh, you know, husband explains everything to wife. Like I didn't want that to be the structure of the show. Right. I wanted Mm -hmm. us to both equally be learning stuff and and discovering stuff as we went our shows on the surface sound very similar but in actuality are very very different oh fantastically like they're they're hitting very different points and have very different goals and like ultimately you know we're making the show we want to make you're making the show you want to make and in actual content they're very different so you know it's it's there's no actual like competition here. It's, it's, oh, the, it's rival, just, yeah. the rivalry is, 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 uh, you know, in name only. I yeah. see it as very much like that web comic of an artist seeing someone else has made a cake and it's so much better. And they're kind of disappointed in themselves. And then the person who's eating the cakes come over and comes over and says, Oh, two cakes. <laughs> yes, exactly. They don't they don't resent any of the cake because they get cake. Like exactly. it's Ben, what so with coming uh coming into um horror from science fiction, there is a lot of overlap between the two, I think. Yeah. Well, yes, and especially right now. And when I say right now, I don't mean 2020. I mean 1954. <laughs> because <laughs> that's where we're at in Scream Scene. You know, doing the the movies chronologically, we've covered 1895 to 1954. And so a lot of times when I'm thinking about horror movies, I'm thinking about where I am in the show's timeline, not right. in reality. And in the 50s, it's it's really hard to start figuring out, okay, is this science fiction or is this horror? Is it both? Right. A lot of stuff can be can be both. That's fine. But like, oh yeah, it's it's tough to sift through when you're trying to make a show that's every 
horror movie ever made in chronological order, it means that like you need to be looking at a movie that maybe you've never seen mm-hmm. and looking at it and going, okay, <laughs> do we do this on the show or not? Because there have been times like we've watched movies on the show and then at the end of the episode said, okay, we're not ranking this. This isn't horror. Um, yes. But we, yes, exactly. But we've mm-hmm. also had episodes where we've gotten like halfway through the movie and been like, okay, we're not recording a second half because this isn't, this isn't going to be an episode. (laughs) This isn't anything. So you have to make like, so we've had to make like genre determinations and it's really difficult in the fifties because that's where you have the biggest horror sci-fi overlap, I think. And in 1954, where our show is currently, um, Mm -hmm. you get that sci-fi horror overlap and you get the original Godzilla in that year. (laughs) Uh, yeah, which, oh my God! So yeah, so I'm which I'm I'm so excited to talk about this. So the the uh, the the movie that we're doing this week, um, being uh, Shin Gojira, mm-hmm. uh, parentheses Shin Godzilla, parentheses Godzilla colon Resurgence uh, from 2016. Um, on screen scene, I I think you just did the original Gojira, yeah. That's right. It's uh, one of our more recent episodes. Also, our longest episode. Also, our longest episode. The original. That episode is, um, God, two and a half hours long. I think he's a beefy boy, so he deserves a beefy episode. He is. He is a large lad, and we we love him very much. He's doing his best. <laughs> I think. I think a core like belief of ours is that having the right context for a film like that can help you engage with, especially films from a different time period than you're used to, mm. or from a different culture than you're used to um Mm -hmm. i think the average american viewer has for example um depending on their age especially um a certain campy view of godzilla whether that's from you know watching dubs of godzilla versus megalon or watching the Mm hanna-barbera cartoon or whatever Uh, featuring godzuki by the way (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so you can go into the original and if you don't i think have like a good primer of what to expect it can really throw you off because that's a movie that's not interested in having fun (laughs) like that's right like and so that's you know, if you think about the Gareth Edwards movie that came out in 2014, right? Two oh, years yeah. Before Shin Gojira. That movie tried really hard to do... <laughs> An effort was made. Uh, ...a serious <laughs> tone, right? And kind of have that serious tone that the original 50s Godzilla movie had. But ultimately, I feel like if you go back and watch the original, um, mm-hmm. which you can do now on the Criterion channel is where it's streaming. Um, oh, yeah. The thing that I think might surprise you the most once you realize that the tone is deadly serious um, is that Godzilla attacks and destroys Tokyo like in the middle of the movie. Like that's act two. It takes a while to get rolling. Yeah. And then, but it's, it's, you know, the big destruction, the big set piece of that movie happens. And then there's still 20 minutes of movie after that, because what they show you is here's the destroyed city. Here's all the dead people. Here's the hospital filled with people with radiation sickness. And uh, here's the crying children and here's all the devastation and this stuff. And they really focus in on that. And you compare that to like the Gareth Edwards movie, which again, tried to go for this serious tone. Godzilla shows mm-hmm. up at San Francisco. I think at the end of the movie stomps the shit out of it while fighting a bunch of other monsters walks into the sea and then it's credits like how yeah he just how many people died 
No clue. How many buildings were destroyed? No clue. Uh, we're not gonna. It's it's, it's fine. <laughs> American film has a really hard time dealing with that. I mean, like as a as a country, we kind of still can't totally cop to having committed a fucking atrocity with Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Like. Mm-hmm. Our understanding of it is still, like, when, when we look at it, so many people are still like, well, it was necessary to prevent a mainland invasion of Japan, and actually it saved millions of lives, like, ignoring everything, actually, that happened with that. Yeah. That, like, even if somehow you could justify Hiroshima, what the fuck was Nagasaki? Like, was that just, you're putting an exclamation point on it? Like, if we can't even engage with the fact that exactly one nation has ever detonated an mm-hmm. atomic bomb on innocent civilians and it's us, like my, my exposure to Godzilla initially was the 1998 Roland mm-hmm. Emmerich movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of that movie, like I, I have a weird fondness for that movie because of how fucking garbage it is, but mostly because <laughs> I love that Roland Emmerich, you know, looked at a Godzilla movie and went, we need the raw animal magnetism of Matthew Broderick as a worm scientist. They were betting hard on him as an action hero. Well, and then um, it's like, we're going to get Leon the professional in here. The original 1954 uh, Gojira, uh, directed by Ishiro Honda, ends with, you know, the military can't do anything to stop this creature. There's nothing we can do. The 98 Roland Emmerich Godzilla ends with, and then our jets shot him with bullets. (laughs) And then we shot Godzilla so good, and we shot him with the most guns. It was so great. Aren't jets cool? Like, that's that's the difference, right? And It's... it's... it's weird because, like, the 98, you know, when I watched it when I was a kid, I was like, oh, Godzilla's a girl. Because in that movie, Godzilla's a girl, mm-hmm. right? Right. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it yep. ends with, like, the eggs possibly being in the subway or whatever. Right. But and you're totally it... right that it's just like, yeah, shoot it and it's fine. But at least in the 2014 one, you know, there was a recognition that... Godzilla is just a force of nature. You, mm-hmm. you can't really do anything about it. But I think while it was closer in terms of Godzilla, I guess, proper, um, mm-hmm. the 2014 movie didn't know what its tone was supposed to be because it was trying to make Godzilla for an American audience, I think. Yeah. With well, like the focus on oh the the soldier and his wife who's a nurse, <laughs> and I'll never forget that like when Godzilla first comes up, um, or I think it's Godzilla. It's one of the monsters comes up to Hawaii, and the mm-hmm. camera's so focused on this dog that's stuck out in the street, and will the dog get away? And oh no, will the dog die or not? And it's so focused on the individual story of the dog or the soldier or the nurse rather than with the 54 Godzilla of, like, the city. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. And, you know, it's not the worst idea in the world to say, let's tell a ground-level story about an individual person through a kaiju attack. It is a bad idea to do that and then make those characters the least interesting characters in the movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, like Ken Watanabe the... is a good character. Brian Cranston is a good character. But um, I don't remember their character names anymore but like quicksilver and scarlet witch who are married in oh, the yeah. movie like they are hi i'm the american soldier good boy 
makes good American soldier. And here's my wife on nurse. Like we're the most <laughs> like poster, like, you know, like white yeah. bread. Like you should like the only reason we really have to care about these people is like, well, we know that they're both good people because one is serving his country and the other's a nurse. Like that's why they're good and we need to care about them. Yeah, and like and and isn't it funny that so many American Godzilla movies still worship the American military, which mm-hmm. maybe had something to do with the delivery of the fucking atomic bomb. What's incredible to me is that uh, a, a thing that I love about Shin Gojira uh, so much is that Godzilla is not anyone's friend. Like you, right. you know, if you look at 2014 Godzilla, um, the movie was very much like, oh, what if Godzilla is the savior of humanity, and it's somehow still about us, or like 1998 Godzilla. You, you get sort of a, a heartwarming moment where uh, Godzilla is face-to-face with Matthew Broderick and like, um, you think he's going to give him a little smooch, you know? And, and he's, you know, and it's very micro. And Shin Gojira is just like, no, Gojira is a tsunami with legs. He does not like you and he wants to fucking destroy everything. Yeah. The most consistent, like there's been a lot of Godzilla movies over a long stretch of time and there's in general two styles. There's a lot more than mm-hmm. that, but let's say there's in general two. There's a dark serious movie where Godzilla is a force of nature and there's nothing you can do about him and then there's movies mm-hmm. where Godzilla is like a hero fighting other monsters and kind of like the right. better of two evils, right? And one of the problems with the Gareth Edwards movie is that it tries to have like the tone of type a with the plot of type b so like it tells you that everything's deadly serious but then like we're supposed to cheer when he fights the other monsters um right the thing about all of the japanese films though is no matter whether no matter what type it is whether it's the serious (laughs) type or the campy type godzilla has a consistent characterization and that consistent Mm -hmm. characterization is that if godzilla's roar could be subtitled the subtitle would be fuck you (laughs) <laughs> yes yeah that that atomic breath is 100 percent a middle finger that extends all the way through a skyscraper yeah exactly Absolutely. Um, and, and it, well and it's also incredible because like talking about the the sort of micro versus macro uh thing this movie um there's it it owes a I, and i don't want to give america too much credit here uh, in, in a Japanese Godzilla movie, mm. but there's it kind of reminded me of Cloverfield a little bit because it was like around the same sort of time period where, um, or not the same time period. Like Cloverfield was like a decade earlier, but it was very like, you know, people on the street, sort of uh, shaky cam running in a city, um, and like dealing with a natural disaster in real time, and kind of you know you get a flash of a giant tail or something, but. The movie starts out with sort of uh, viral footage and it's like leaning on the sort of democratization of like, the, it's not going to go micro with these people, but all of them are experiencing this and broadcasting it. The thing mm-hmm. about Shin Gojira, like, so the movie, the reason Shin Gojira happened is the same reason mm-hmm. why um, Godzilla 2000 happened, which is Toho, the studio that makes Godzilla movies, will end mm-hmm. the series and then America will do a their own version and toho's response every time america makes a godzilla movie is to go oh fuck all right we got to show you how it's done i guess um (laughs) yeah which is correct it's it's correct for them to roll up a newspaper and swat america on the nose and be like you you can't make godzilla no so no (laughs) so but if we want to see what the other impetus for that movie is like you bring up cloverfield but i think the real thing to keep in mind when you're watching that movie is fukushima 
Oh yeah, the for sure. The reason that we're seeing people on the ground and citizen journalism and and this like, democratization and and a big key theme of that movie is that ordinary people because of the internet are getting information way faster than the government that's trying to deal with the problem is getting it because they're dealing with ordinary traditional like red tape bureaucratic communications channels yeah um and that's all fukushima right that was that was people on the ground in japan looking at twitter that was telling them like hey this is bad and then looking at tv where like a government minister was saying like it's fine everything is fine and, and everyone being like okay no we know that's bullshit though because there are people there at the plant who are tweeting right mm -hmm. yeah yeah completely and I, I would say that like a good 80 percent of the, you know it's not every this is i think for me uh and and obviously my my godzilla um exposure has been like i've seen maybe like a, a dozen or so godzilla movies in, in in my life and like a lot of those were either sort of like at a party or just kind of in passing mm -hmm. uh but this movie more than any other uh godzilla movie i think i've seen um it's a bureaucratic thriller on yes. a lot of levels yeah it reminded me of contagion honestly yes. a little bit yeah. Yeah, the movie um, that it reminds me the most of, yeah. Yeah, Contagion takes more of the like global response to a threat, whereas Japan stays very focused on Japan. Um, sorry, <laughs> Gojira stays focused on Japan. Um, but you're absolutely right that it's like a bureaucratic nightmare. Um, and you can feel the same kind of anger and frustration that... The people making it have at the government as perhaps like honda did when making the first gojira of like just being so furious that like you dropped a bomb on us and mm -hmm. in shin gojira like so furious that like your inaction has caused this to get worse and worse and worse so the thing about shin gojira that makes it really different from the other godzilla movies is um other than shin gojira all Godzilla movies are, other than the first one, are sequels. Um, some of them are direct sequels to the original, like they're doing the like Halloween thing, where it's like, oh, the original happened, and then none of the sequels counted, mm -hmm. and now it's this one, right? Like that's a thing that Godzilla did first, <laughs> was oh, yeah. like the that kind of thing. <laughs> Texas Chainsaw, Te Texas Chainsaw has also done the same thing every single movie. Yeah, Godzilla, yeah. <laughs> Godzilla did that in 1984. They did the like we're gonna retcon the whole series except for the originals. <laughs> uh, Godzilla did the cinematic universe mm -hmm. thing in the '60s um, with linking series together and stuff. Um, but Shin Gojira is the first time the Japanese have actually totally rebooted. It's the first time they've made a Godzilla movie since the first one, where the premise is none of these characters have ever seen Godzilla before. Right? This is totally new. Yeah. When the first movie was made in 1954. The Japanese self-defense forces were a year old, right? When World War II ended Good Lord. and the, you know, trees were signed and everything, you know, the Japanese constitution mm -hmm. says they can't have an army, right? When the U.S. occupation ended and the U.S. pulled their armed forces out, the idea was, okay, but we're going to let you have this little defense force for your own self-defense, right? That self-defense force can't right. be um, deployed overseas, but it exists. So when it appears in the first Godzilla movie, it was brand new, and there was no reason to think that it would be any different really than like just sending in the army. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Well, which, which is also incredible because, uh, so with the, the council, now m- much of the movie sort of centers around, centers, centers around a uh, council of um, old, you know, sort of Japanese politicians as they're like sort of batting around what they do about the monster. My favorite um, wig reveal in this movie is that when they all decide that they're going to get tough on Godzilla and really do something about it, all of a sudden they're all wearing fatigues. Yes, <laughs> they're just yeah. commu- communicate that they're you know they're done they're done fucking around you know well, like they're they're gonna yeah. There's a moment where the prime minister um, appears for a press conference and he's wearing uh, like a hazmat kind of outfit or something, and mm-hmm. that's a direct reference to a press conference that like Shinjo Abe did um, with the Fukushima disaster where it was like suddenly he was like in a hazmat suit as if like he's down there shoveling out the radioactive waste with everybody <laughs> right. else which he is not you know but but so Shinjo Abe who by the way really likes Shin Gojira which I thought was incredible interesting so yeah when the army comes in in the original it's like okay cool yeah we're gonna send the army and then that became like a trope of kaiju movies and of tokusatsu films and of japanese media like the army coming in and doing things the jsdf has never fired a shot right like they've never seen combat at all and Mm -hmm. so when you come to shin gojira with it revamping the premise and saying okay it's 2019 and and no one's seen a kaiju before so now instead of taking place in a universe where oh yeah we've been fighting godzilla since the 50s we're in a universe right. where the JSDF has not fired a shot since 1950, you know, since it began. And well, so yeah, yeah. suddenly you get to that moment in the movie where they have to order the guys, they have to order the army to open fire, right, on Godzilla. And there's like the guys in the tanks who are like, okay, are you going to give the order? And then like their captain turns to like a general and he's like, okay, do I have the order to fire? And the general turns to like the defense minister and he's like, okay, do I have the order to fire? And the defense minister turns to like the prime minister and is like, hey, do they have the order to fire? And the prime minister is like, ah, because he has no idea if giving that order is going to end his political career or not, right? Well, yeah. Well, and, and that's what that's what so much of the tension, which is incredible because like, again, you know, like with a, with a kaiju movie, um, I mean, obviously so much of this is a condemnation of the brass and how so many of them mm-hmm. are, you know, while this, you know, fucking crazy kaiju emergency is happening, their their primary concern is like their career and mm. and what you know what this means for them and and what this means for them if they make a decision. Um, this movie, I think, uh, gives a lot of credit to the United Nations, which at one point in the movie, the United Nations basically says to the Council of Grim Dudes that like, look, handle your shit and kill Godzilla, or else we're gonna do it for you. And we're going to drop a bomb. It's going to kill a lot of people, which is a hell of a fucking threat to make to Japan. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That was so shocking to me that it's like, well, we're we're just going to deal with it for you. Um, Mm -hmm. As an audience member, you're kind of like, yeah, just bomb Godzilla. Get like, figure this out. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you have a level of understanding that it's also a movie. Um, Right. But for the characters, it's kind of like infantilizing. Like, you can't deal with this, so we're going to come in with our big boy pants and take care of this for you by dropping another bomb on you. Yeah, it, right. Well, yeah. because it's, it's a movie that you have to, like, you... you. It, it, I, I have to assume, like, it's a movie that you kind of need to, like... If you're an American watching it, you kind of need to hit a switch in your brain a little bit mm-hmm. and change your paradigm. Because oh, sure. this is a movie that 
is directly addressing a lot of these questions about Japanese identity, like the fact that, you know, ultimately it's a country that, you know, after World War II kind of had its wagon hitched to the United States in such a way that, like, it does sometimes feel to them like they have to, you know, wait for the U.S.'s permission to do things or whatever, like, because, mm-hmm. well, yeah. you know, we they, they have their little self-defense force and, like, that's it right and if the u.s says like hey, we're gonna drop a nuke on you like what are you gonna say to that i mean as as an american viewer like i i it it, it was it felt strange to me that i i realized that part way through i i felt very sort of um millhouse watching the thing going like when are they gonna get to the fireworks factory mm-hmm. we're like <laughs> i'm i'm watching a goddamn godzilla movie and as an american viewer like the thing that i want is spectacle mm-hmm. right like i want I want Godzilla to wreck fucking everything. I want a big kaiju movie. And this movie is not necessarily focused on that. And I realized that like, you know, there are some things that are not, that were not made for me as an American viewer of a Godzilla movie. Right. Absolutely. And like, that's a key thing to recognize going in is like, yeah, the movie isn't for you. And if you're going to engage with it, you have to engage with it on, on its terms and those good faith. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you know, the movie is addressing the ineptitude of, like, traditional Japanese government. It's addressing all these things. I bring up the thing about the military because I feel like, as an American viewer, even if you've seen a lot of kaiju movies or Godzilla movies or whatever, like, you're so used to the idea of, like, okay, the military just shoots the thing that you kind of have to, like, have a moment to recognize, like, okay, but this is trying to be the kaiju movie set in the real world. Well, and, and, well, and especially when they're, you know, when, when they, when they, uh, so the military rolls up on Godzilla um, and decides to shoot him a lot with guns. What's incredible to me is that they, um, they give him, you know, they, they, they give him the business and they're like, all right, let's unleash all of the bullets and all of the rockets. And Godzilla, he doesn't actually brush his shoulders off, <laughs> but he kind of, he might as well where it's yeah. like, what are you gonna do? Like yeah. you're you're shooting you're you're you know this is silly. Um, I mean, and and Godzilla. Now, first of all, the effects in this movie are pretty fucking good. Yeah. Um, with and I realized this that like the the CG in this movie. And I'm gonna say a thing and see if it's true. Mm-hmm. And because sometimes I'll I'll say a thing and I don't know if I actually believe it. <laughs> I feel like um, the gods the the CG in this movie. A lot of uh, CG of kaiju movies looks bad because it is too shiny and in a way that my brain recognizes doesn't necessarily map with the actual lighting present in the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Shin Gojira, it, like, it's got a sort of matte thing. Like When Godzilla in his first form comes out of the ocean to fuck shit up, yeah. he, he sort of he looks like a cross between a, ba- a largemouth bass and a stegosaurus. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, with um, the googly eyes. Oh, the googly eyes! I could not stop. I couldn't stop giggling at the googly eyes. Um, but you know, you look at him, and for me, like I'm watching this, and just like th- this actually looks like a big fucking kaiju is rolling up out of the ocean to kill everyone. And he looks so pitiful too. Like you, you really feel for him because the origin story for Gojira in the movie is he was like a an actual fish or whale or whatever ate Mm -hmm. some nuclear fallout material and then was mutated into this. And you can just feel like he's in pain. His lungs are bleeding. 
it, oh, yeah. it, you f- really feel yeah. for him, even as he's causing all of this destruction. One of the most effective... He's a large, scared baby. If you go back and look at the original Godzilla suit and the original design of the character... Um, Which rules, by the way. <laughs> uh, he doesn't have scales. Really? Um, his body is not covered in scales. If you look at the original... Oh, wow. Um, he kind of has this appearance of like... I, I had a friend in elementary school who once just, he didn't like the Japanese Godzilla movies. He thought they were corny and stupid. And he derisively right. called Godzilla's appearance as resembling a burnt marshmallow. That is surprisingly accurate because the appearance right. of the original Godzilla is not meant to look like scales. It is meant to look like keloid scars, which are a type oh. of raised scar that you get from radiation burns. Um, he, he has the same wow. burn scars as Hiroshima and Nagasaki victims all over his body. Oh, Jesus. I had no idea. Jesus Christ. And so the Shin Gojira design takes that idea and brings it a few steps forward so that he literally, like is you know yeah bleeding from his lungs and he looks like he's going to like explode from the inside out and you know his his ribs are out and he just looks like you know his his arms are skeletal and his face is just like all puffy and you know he doesn't have like lips as if they've been burned away his eyes don't blink he doesn't have eyelids right like you know and they've and they've dialed it up to 11 to make the design new again because we've gotten so used to seeing that design that we've mm-hmm. forgotten what it means. And the other thing with the original film is his atomic breath weapon, which is so iconic. Oh, it's in- so and, and the way it's the way it's done in Shin Gojira is uh beautiful. Incredible. It's so good. It's like beautifully terrifying because as Ben's kind of like leading to say, like it's a surprise in the first one, but now you kind of expect it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And they find a way to make it unexpected and honestly terrifying like i remember when i first saw shingojira i was sitting there in shock and in terrific awe of what was going on on the screen yeah we got to see it in theaters which was a great treat uh when it oh that's how you want to see it right there and yeah the audience went like silent during that scene where, you know, he first uses the atomic breath and, and you know, he the jaw splits open and the, the, the beam goes purple and he just cuts a swath through the city, right? Well and it's and, and the and the color change is gorgeous because it start out starts out as this like rage red and then mm-hmm. deepens into a purple. Yeah. And I, I sort of speaking of Roland Emmerich movies, I sort of felt like um the the best friend of Will Smith's wife in Independence Day on the top of the skyscraper when the thing opens up and she's like, it's so pretty before getting mm. annihilated. Yeah. This was me watching that color change in, in Godzilla's body as he's about to unleash the atomic breath. So yeah. in the original film, yeah, like Sarah said, the atomic breath is a surprise. You have no yeah. clue it's coming. There's nothing to tell you that he has that power. But now we know that he has that power. Everyone's expecting it. So the thing that the movie did that was so brilliant in Shin Gojira was finding a way to change his powers from Mm -hmm. earlier movies to make them feel new again. Like, there's a lot of stuff Godzilla does in this movie that he was never able to do before, and that makes him scary again. Yeah, because because it it recontextualizes it because... And again, like you said, like because there's such standards, you're waiting for them. And then when they actually happen, it is a surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they managed yeah. to make a 50-year-old, uh, oops, uh, what, 60-year-old um, 
big uh, seven i'm i'm listen this is a this is a movie podcast not a math podcast right. i i, I disavow <laughs> all math and measurements of time this big pop culture icon they managed to make him surprising again and that's yeah. such a key thing that makes the movie effective is you know make you go like oh shit <laughs> yeah well and, and also uh, in, in addition to that like now and, and the incredible thing is that when yeah when so when godzilla emerges and he's a, emerges and he's sort of like a big open wound with googly eyes and he's having a bad fucking time mm-hmm. um and the military is you know trying to uh, you know get rid of him and he ducks back into the ocean and you sort of get to witness uh, Godzilla's like real time transformation into Godzilla, which is mm-hmm. so fucking dope. Like mm-hmm. he he goes back into the ocean to kind of finish cooking, and <laughs> then when it's sort of like okay, that thing about how I didn't have any skin or calluses that first time that was a mistake. You guys have a <laughs> lot of guns. Um, I I put on my outfit, so I'm back and. And you know, you know, you're just seeing these bullets just ping off of his, you know, big mug, and he's just—he's no selling everything. And then my favorite part is that because you're expecting the atomic breath, he shoots lasers out of his entire body. Yeah, the spines, the tail, everything. Yeah. Um, oh man, it's so cool. So Speaking of things in his design mm. that you might not have noticed, so I mean, the the big, um, you know, spoilers for Shin Gojira, but like the big twist at the end is after they've frozen him they show you the shot going up his tail and the fact that his tail is like splitting off into skeletons of people with like godzilla spines right right because the whole deal of godzilla in this movie is that he's constantly mutating right into the next yeah he's changing and so you know the next form is people like you know um he's gonna start spreading like little people godzillas but if you look at the mm-hmm. end of his tail throughout the movie, um, when he fires his laser out the end of the tail in the midpoint mm-hmm. of the movie, um, his tail actually has a skull in it. It has a mouth. Like, he's still oh, wow. doing atomic breath. The tail is growing a second face out the end of it, and it's this horrible, like, bleeding skull face because it's not supposed to be there it's it's you know Mm -hmm. everything about his design is meant to make you think about like brundlefly you know like absolutely yeah yeah like this is the thing that should not be right there are faces where there should not be faces right and so he's got a face at the end of his tail with this mouth and that's where the beam is firing from like his whole design is is designed to really just be horrific well, and, th- and then, of course, the uh, the bodies on the end of his tail are going to um, chase uh, Matthew Broderick and Hank Azaria through right. Madison Square <laughs> that's Garden. Right. That's right. That's right. It's going to be very popcorn-centric. We're really going to... It's I, it, And it's so funny, like, looking... I, I didn't know what to make uh, initially of the bodies that were... Well, yeah, so they, they, um, they flash-freeze Godzilla. And it's not even, like... You don't get a sort of Batman and Robin Mr. Freeze type, mm. like, slow, icy freeze up his body. He just goes and just instantly gets fucking frozen. Yeah, it's um, it's so wild. It's so good. And, you know, and so they're, they're doing this, like, sort of slow tilt up uh, Godzilla's body. And you see these sort of corpses caked onto the tail. And I initially didn't know if this meant that, like because Godzilla reproduces asexually if this was like they froze him they froze him just in time mm-hmm. when he was about to sort of gestate a new you know sort of Godzilla Muppet babies mm-hmm. and <laughs> and you know and 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 for me I was sort of I loved that I had that question because mm-hmm. 
again, it repackaged Godzilla in such a way that stuff that I thought I knew to be true about Godzilla, initially when I when I watched this, I thought that um, the first version of Godzilla that shambled up out of the ocean was going to be a creature that Godzilla was going to have to fight, right? right. Like you're, you're, <laughs> oh, you're, waiting on, you're waiting on Megalodon or Mothra or whatever to pop out. And it was such a goddamn pleasure to realize, no, dude, that is, this is pubescent Godzilla and yeah. he hasn't reached his final form yet. Yeah. And speaking of the special effects of the movie... Um, it's worth mentioning. So the film's directed by uh, Hideaki Anno and Shinji Higuchi. And Hideaki Anno is most famous as the brain behind the Neon Genesis Evangelion franchise. Fuck and yes. if you are a fan of Evangelion, there's a lot of Evangelion in this movie. Like mm-hmm. his penchant oh, yeah. for putting um, uh, lots of text on the screen for like three seconds at a time that you have to read and like just, <laughs> yeah, throwing, just throwing characters at you and being like, I threw up their name on text on the screen when they showed up. I don't need to explain to you who this person is. You should have read it. <laughs> no, I will not be taking questions at and, this time. Yeah, exactly. And like, um, there's stuff I want to talk about with Anno, but I think people look at this movie in the context of being an Anno film a lot and they don't talk as much about Shinji Higuchi. And Shinji Higuchi, mm-hmm. um, who's the co-director his big claim to fame that made him like the reason why people know who he is basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he was a writer and a storyboard artist on Ava, but right. the thing that made his name was he was the special effects director of the nineties Gamera trilogy, the Heisei era Gamera films. Like, so Gamera has always been kind of the, like, uh, Godzilla ripoff. Yeah, like like he's oh, yeah. the closest thing to a major competitor that Godzilla has. I mean, he's sort of the Kirkland signature Godzilla, right? Like I, I always uh, I always think of when I think of Gamera, I think of the MST3K episode of about course. Gamera. Mm-hmm. Most Gamera is th- the uh, rank and file to screen. <laughs> oh, ouch. ouch! Ouch! I beg your pardon. This is uh, rank and file is the version of Godzilla that actually no, we're the Godzuki. <laughs> is, is what it is. We are. So I think a lot of um, the mainstream American knowledge of Gamera comes from those um, MS3TK episodes, which are of Definitely. the 1960s Gamera films. The 1990s Gamera films were competing with the 90s Godzilla films of the time, and they're like this amazing dark horse because less people have seen them than those 90s Godzilla movies, but they're better. Right. Um, they're really good. The 90s Gamera films are like really good um, see i don't i don't know from 90s gamera yeah, this is this is i gotta i gotta do my fucking homework they, uh, like i there's so much um kaiju stuff that i feel like um i i had an understanding of kaiju movies uh, that like it's sort of like no no you've seen like three or four actual important kaiju movies and there's like this whole rich genre of stuff mm-hmm, that i mm-hmm. i need to need to watch uh scream factory just put out the 90s gamera movies on blu-ray um also if you're in region two arrow put out a blu-ray set of all of them the 60s ones the 90s ones the 2000s ones the whole shebang um so yeah which side note uh arrow video which is a huge uh uh, i i love arrow so much they just started their uh streaming service um 
Yeah, which I, I, this is, I'm so sorry. This is like all I've been thinking about all day is that Era <laughs> Video now has a streaming service. Oh my God, I had, I'm, I'm very excited. Amazing. Okay, so those 90s Gamera films were very well received critically. And like I said, they're kind of like a dark horse thing where it's like, oh, if you're a real fan, you know, those are the good stuff. And right. um, so Shinji Higuchi, um, who is the namesake for Shinji Ikari, by the way, on Eva, mm-hmm. um, Shinji Higuchi was the special effects director for those films. The director of those 90s Gamera films was, you know, so well received that he got to direct a Godzilla movie in the 2000s. Toho was like, oh, yeah, we're going to let him do one. And he did a Godzilla movie that was like totally apart from the series. Like it would Mm -hmm. be as if like between the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises, if like some other guy got to come in and do a completely different Batman movie that had nothing to do with them. (laughs) The Chris Nolan Lucius ones. Fox's Wild Ride, and we like, get like a, a yeah, just like a totally different interpretation. It was not part of the main series at all. He just got total permission to go and do his own thing. Oh, um, that's the that's the dream, is what that is like. Getting yeah. to take a property and just go and do your own thing with it. In his version, um, Godzilla is the souls of Japanese soldiers killed in World War II right. who have Fuck. animated into this monster to get revenge on Japan for surrendering to America. Wow. Um, that's, that's his version. That's um, his movie. So uh, um, I, not to, you know, tip my hand too much. That is the dopest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> so that's so cool. He um, brought, and the thing is like, he got to do his own thing and he got to bring his special effects team from the Gamera movies with him, which was a totally different team than what Toho was using. Um, so it's a totally different look like he did the monsters like they all look very different than what was the standard for toho at the time Mm -hmm. so coming back to shinji higuchi who was the special effects director he then you know his special effects for those gamma movies for that one godzilla movie were so well regarded that he got to level up to being his own director and his first movie was the live action um attack on titan Oh, wow. And then, Which I honestly, in terms of CG, was my immediate reference point for Shin Gojira's graphics. Right. So then he goes from that to team with Ano to do Shin Gojira. So that's the special effects lineage of this movie. Um, so Man. that's why you're thinking that. Um, another thing that's my favorite bit of trivia about the special effects in Shin Gojira is um, one thing that I love about the movie. They did build a suit. Oh, so they had, like, the proper, like, guy in rubber suit and miniatures. Right. And then they used CGI on top of all of that to enhance. And ultimately what you're seeing in the film is a CGI Godzilla, but it's using... They they used reference photography of, like, a real suit that they made that was hyper-detailed, that, like, they could Mm -hmm. get the right lighting and the right sense of it in the space. And it was important that it moved like a guy in a suit, right? So that it looked like Godzilla. Because if he doesn't move like a guy in a suit, he doesn't move like Godzilla. Well, because, like, your your, your monkey brain sort of can recognize if it's too slick and it's too CG. Like, there's an Uncanny Valley thing that I think, you know, your your brain just... it kind of bounces off immediately, at least for me, if it's like oh, too yeah. much CG with no human sort of touch. And there's just a way that yeah. Godzilla moves. And there's a long history of sumation actors who portrayed 
Godzilla through the entire original 15 films, it's the same guy. It's mm-hmm. Haruo Nakajima under the suit who was, who got the role because he was the only guy who could survive in the suit under the studio lights for more than, you know, 30 seconds at a time. Bra- braver than any U S Marine. <laughs> right, like exactly. that is, that uh, is thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service, yeah. honestly. And then, you know, there was, um, Kempichiro Satsuma in the eighties and nineties. Um, I forget the two thousands suit actor's name, the suit actor for Shin Gojira, who also who did the motion capture for the CGI, who you know was was doing all of the motion, uh, is an actor uh, Mansai Nomura, and he's not like all the other Godzilla suit actors have been um, basically stunt performers, right? Their stunt performers mm-hmm. is their background. This guy's background is not stunt performer. So I have to ask you, Ryan, have you seen the Akira Kurosawa film Ron? No, I've never seen Ron. Okay. So Ron is like Kurosawa's big end of career masterpiece, right? So and, like this was his like like magnum opus. Right. And it's his version of King Lear. And nice. it was made in 1984, I want to say. Okay. 1985. And so Mansai Nomura is in Ron. He plays a very pivotal role. He's this blind hermit boy, Sumaru. Uh, Surumaru, who he's like the character who gets to basically say the theme of the movie. You know, he's he's a minor. Oh, he's character. the guy who gets to give give the proper thesis of the thing. Right. Yeah, he's a minor role, but like he he's the he's the character who's in the last shot of the movie. He's a major sort of thematic character, even though it's a minor role. Mansai Nomura played that character in Akira Kurosawa's Ron. He's also Godzilla in so he's. Ojira. He's like the guy in a Ridley Scott movie who turns and spikes the camera and goes, I want to kill my dad. I'm right. Ridley Scott. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is like if you found out that the, um, you know, motion capture for, uh, you know, the, the monster in uh, mm-hmm. Pacific Rim or whatever had been done by like Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, <laughs> that's, that's... I would pay to see that, to be honest. Me too, yeah, honestly. That, that's the great thing about being Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis is like, it wouldn't actually surprise me if like, because it pleased him to do so. Mm. Like, yeah, I had some downtime on Phantom Thread, so I figured I would play a kaiju. I don't well, know. that's the thing about Godzilla is like, as a big cultural icon, it is one of those things where I bet you know, it's like Star Trek. You can get people who you would never think you could get just because they're like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll be in a Godzilla movie. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, man. Honestly, like I also a, a big thing that I want to talk about with this movie is in all caps, that fucking score. Mm. Um, the movie is scored by Shiro Sagisu, who um, so much of this movie, it's like when you think of um, all right, so when you think of Godzilla music, for me, uh, because I am extremely basic, my first thought is the song Godzilla by Blue Oyster Cult. Um, and, you, you know, you, which, you know, with a lot of Godzilla music, you think of it being sort of big, stompy, like, horn section, like, dum ba dum ba dum you know. And this movie, it's like a Brahms symphony. Like, so much of this music, it's, like, pensive and thoughtful and, a f- like, there's this, like, I don't know. So um, Sagisu's score on uh, Shin Gojira, at so many of the moments, like I, I think the moment that I keep going back to when I think of the mm-hmm. score of this movie is mm-hmm. during the atomic breath scene yeah. where, you know, his body is going proper disco. He's doing, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's changing colors and the soundtrack. I always wa- I always think about what the soundtrack is telling you versus what 
you know what's on screen is telling you have you and have you looked at the lyrics for the song like no, there's a choir singing right there's a choir singing. oh shit they're singing yeah in what, what are the lyrics they're singing in english so um because the japanese think english sounds cool um of course so so shiro saigus i actually love that you brought up the score because the score mm-hmm. is one of my favorite things about the movie as well Hell and yeah shiro uh, saigusu did the score for eva as well um and i i want to talk about that in a second but mm-hmm. the song that plays during that apocalyptic section it's called who will know and the lyrics are as follows uh if i die in this world who will know something of me i am lost no one knows there's no trace of my yearning if i die in this world but i must carry on who will know something of me nothing worse can befall i am lost no one knows all my fears all my tears there's no trace of my yearning tell my heart there's a hole i wear a void not even hope a downward slope is all i see i wear a void as long as breath comes from my mouth not even hope i may yet stand the slightest chance a downward slope a shaft of light is all i need is all i see to cease the darkness killing me the song is actually from godzilla's point of view Jesus, Mary and Joseph, that's so good. Ben, that's so good. That's, oh my God. I am, fuck. Now I got to do a deep dive and look at all these lyrics. Like that, yeah, like this is, even the score itself, like that is Godzilla's like perspective and sadness and and Jesus. So the score is very eclectic because there are Mm. a lot of it that is new music by Shiro Sagasu. There is mm-hmm. a lot of it that is the original music from the 1954 film right. uh, that they've repurposed. And the thing is, so Akira Ifukabe did the music for the original 1954 film. He didn't score all the original movies, but his scores are the scores that are most associated with those movies. And even when right. later composers came on in the series, they would use his themes. He's the John Williams to Godzilla as, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like he's, the same way that he's the Bernie Taupin to Elton John right. to Godzilla's Elton John. Right. Exactly. Like <laughs> they're going to use his music. It's his theme song. Even the Gareth Edwards movie uses his theme, except that like everything else about Godzilla, it plays it in the wrong tempo and the wrong speed. So it gets why the right. song is good entirely wrong. Um, right. Anno originally thought like, okay, like a lot of previous Godzilla movies, we'll use his music and we'll get it re-recorded. Right, we'll take a new orchestra, we'll have it re-recorded with the rest of the score. And he listened to this in editing and he went, No, that sounds wrong. Uh, we're just gonna take the exact recordings from 1954 and plunk them into the movie. So when you're watching the film, there are certain times where the music suddenly has this like almost tinny mono quality mm-hmm. because they've just dropped yeah. in the recordings from 1954 because Anno felt like it sounded wrong otherwise right like um, there was something in his brain that twigged like there's there's something that's not symmetrical with what i with, with what i know to be true yeah so there's a lot of pieces from previous godzilla films from ifukabe uh in the film then there's the stuff that sagaso uh sagasu has um recorded new that and written mm-hmm. new right and then there's the track from the ungenesis evangelion that's just straight up in the movie <laughs> <laughs> in the planning session yes in ava every time that mizato is coming up with a plan to fight an angel there's this music piece that um the start of it actually sounds almost exactly like um a frequent james bond 
um, piece of music from the Connery oh, like era. Oh, musical sting. Yeah. yeah. Um, they don't use it anymore. They only used it in the Connery era, but it sort of starts with like these like bum, 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 bum. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, anyways, that music is from Ava whenever they plan things. Whenever they plan anything in Shin Gojira, it's that same music from Ava, but now it has like an electric guitar in it, but it's the same track. Like he's got like Ava score in this along with old Godzilla score, along with new music. You know, honestly, my, my only critique of um, my only note on Shin uh, Gojira uh, 2016 is that uh, Cruel Angel's thesis <laughs> didn't play well. Uh, Proto-Godzilla emerges from the ocean. Speaking like of- if we could just have the fucking. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. And, and like, there's so much, honestly, like, because I just did a Neon Genesis rewatch mm-hmm. um, a, a couple of months ago. And I, I feel like having like having that context for Shin Gojira that like those two things were so close, like this. Yeah, it's perfect. And, and, and like so much of the music and also this is, I think one of the biggest cases I've seen of like the soundtrack and what it's scoring are in pretty much perfect harmony for Shin Mm. Gojira. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I love about the way that the soundtrack works with, you know, the Ava soundtrack, the original recordings from the 54 is this is a perfect movie to look at if you're curious about how a movie can exist on multiple levels with just the movie itself and then a metatextual level and what things emerge when you realize these connections to other pieces of media and other like even like the news coverage that we mentioned where you know the people would be in the suits and that's what they're calling forward uh, visually in the movie. Um, I just love like the metatextual level of Shin Gojira. Uh, yeah. Even to the point where like it is like a little bit of an Ouroboros, especially with the 54 needle drops of. Yeah. Like, yeah. Further cementing its own mythos a little if, bit. If we want to talk about meta text, um, I want to talk about the title of the film for a second. So, <laughs> okay, so so which which of three titles are we right. talking about? So, so the Japanese title is Shin Gojira. Um, then the if you buy it on Blu-ray in North America, if you went to see it in theaters in North America, it's Shin Godzilla. For a little while before Funimation got the license, Tokyo was pushing the English title Godzilla Resurgence as the official English mm-hmm. title. and Which also, I, I I need you to understand that when I hear Shen Godzilla as the American release, I hear the voice of Harry Shearer from Godzilla 1998 going, sure. Godzilla. Yeah. And this is, yeah. So. It's such a weird, yeah. You feel like um, the titles are like, you know, Shin Gojira, mm-hmm. Godzilla Resurgence, and Shin Godzilla. Like, <laughs> I hear it in like, the voice of like David Lynch, like Godzilla, like just as as, it sounds like a car crash. It's it's just, yeah. yeah. So so a lot of Godzilla movies have three titles. They'll have the title in Japanese, they'll have Toho's official English title, and they'll have whatever it was actually titled in North America, uh, theatrical release. But the title Shin Gojira is very clever because, um, so the, the actual word Gojira, his name, um, it's written in katakana in Japanese, which means right. um, it's a writing system that's just about the sounds being made, not the meaning of the word. Because, right, it's phonetic. Um, yeah. Gojira's name, Godzilla's name, is a portmanteau. Um, it's a portmanteau of the Japanese words gorira, which means gorilla, and kujira, which means whale. 
Um, so his name is literally Gorilla Whale. Gorilla Whale. Because <laughs> he's originally, you know, he's King Kong, but he comes from the ocean. Right, right. right? He's he's the water monkey. Yeah. He is, he is the big water man. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so the title of Shin Gojira, if you look at the Japanese poster, the whole thing is written in katakana. Um, so it's all phonetic. But, of course, there's another writing style in Japanese... Uh, kanji which they take kanji, Chinese yeah. which is um, not phonetic it's it's representational the characters represent an idea not the sound right shin is a homophonic word in Japanese it, there are three different meanings it can have like the word blue in in English right. right it's a homophone so the way that you clarify that in Japanese is you give the kanji because the kanji is only ever going to have one meaning because it's based on the meaning not the sound right Ano refused to give kanji for Shin Gojira, which means that the title can have up to three meanings. It could mean new Godzilla, which, hey. It could, <laughs> it, could, it, right. it could mean true Godzilla, oh. which again, like we just had the Gareth Edwards movie released two years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Or it can mean God Godzilla, Okay, which is slightly self-aggrandizing, but also appropriate. <laughs> like in Godzilla fandom, uh, like online in message boards and stuff, um, you see a lot of fans who will refer to Godzilla just as G. And the reason why you G G just the letter G, and the reason okay. you get a lot of that is to avoid pedantic fights between people who want to come in and be like, you know, you're talking about Godzilla and someone wants to come in and be like, well, in Japanese, it's Gojira. You should call him Gojira. Oh man. So it's right? literally the, it's literally the Mike versus Joel debate with MST3K where it's like, listen, just use the letter G. We don't talk about right. that thing. Yeah. So, so you'll hear him referred to as G. I mean, it, it also helps if, you know, for character um, limits and things like that. Oh, but, sure. Sure. Um, but it's very common, and it's common in Japan, too. You'll see them use the letter G to represent Godzilla, and um, it, it gets you past the Gojira versus Godzilla thing. Toho's official English translation for Gojira is Godzilla. Like, that's the official English form of it. It's it's based on bad right. romanization from the 50s. Sure. Um, but a government and characters who are crippled with inaction. And well, it's, yeah, it's, it's about how the people at the top aren't actually steering this thing. Right. And, and about you, how these, these structures that are in place to protect us just ultimately don't necessarily know how to engage with a big fucking uh, kaiju emerging from the ocean to murder us. Right. So they, they are crippled with inaction. And what will save the day is someone actually doing something, right? But, but it's right. such a threat. It's such a thing that you have no context for dealing with that people kind of shut down and they don't know what to do. And the old ways of thinking don't help them anymore. And so, you know, the thing that's going to fix the problem is, is, you know, actually being decisive and doing the thing, right? But that's yeah. the thing that they have difficulty doing. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the theme of Ava, right it's it's does shinji, oh, yeah. does shinji get in the robot or not right going, does he in fact get in the fucking robot right it's the, exactly. it's the, yeah the tension <laughs> the tension of the series so if we refer to godzilla as just g the title of the movie is shinji shinji fuck <laughs> it just it just it just occurred to me mm -hmm. it, i cannot i'm <sighs> need to take a breath that 
I, uh, wow. Okay. All right. So yeah, Shinji, it's fine. It's fine. This is fine. <laughs> this is normal and fine. So now, now comes the part of the podcast, uh, which is apparently the conceit of the podcast. Uh, okay. So looking at the list, uh, which we are currently at 486 movies, uh, uh on the list. So closing in on five, five, 500 movies that we've Okay, so at number 16, we have the uh, original Gojira from 1954. Mm. Um, Y'all, which do we think is a better movie? Uh, The original Godzilla or Shin Gojira? Oh. So I have to say the original. Yeah. And my my reason is... is... I I don't think it's entirely because like, oh, well, without the original, you don't have this movie. I, I don't right. think it's entirely that, but it's it's as much as this movie's talking about a lot of really important things about Japan and its government and its politics and the Fukushima disaster and, and all these kind of right. things. Um, there's something really primal at the core of the original that this movie can't have because this movie right. can't be about the rage at the bomb that the original is and the, and, and the thing about the, yeah. the original that you have to understand is like it's not just about the bomb it's about the fact that um uh castle bravo happened at bikini atoll mm-hmm. like months right. earlier and that their fishermen were dying and that their uh food was radioactive and there was nothing they could do about it because america was like yeah you surrendered so we own these islands so we can do whatever we want right and and, and you just have to sit there and take it and so it's you know when you look at the original and you think about like oh this is about the wounds of hiroshima and nagasaki it's like yes but it's also about how those wounds just had salt rubbed in them and, and, and like it's it's coming home to roost and sort of affecting everything yeah conversely yeah. like an alternative point of view here is no one's like directly at fault for causing shingojira to appear but we kind of tied that to the cosmic horror of like cthulhu right yeah so is that more horrifying? That's a great question. I feel like, yes. <laughs> I want to say that's more horrifying, honestly. Like, And actually, now, I, I, I think, so I think Godzilla is a better, um, the, the, the original Gojira is better than Shin Gojira just because of, again, sort of time and place and for, for do, you know, being culturally what it was. Uh, scrolling down the list a little bit at number 19. Okay, here's... I'm gonna I'm gonna say a thing and see if it's true. Mm. At number nineteen, we have uh, Aliens, uh, the, the the sequel to Alien, and uh, at number nineteen, and then right above that, at number eighteen, we have The Bride of Frankenstein. Mm. Um, I would make the case, and and please, you know, and and please disagree if you if you do, because that's you know again sort of the whole concept of the thing. Um, I, I think that it's better than Aliens because. Uh, Shin Gojira is also a sequel to an iconic uh, movie about how nature doesn't really care about us. Um, and I think it's better than Aliens because it has it's more in conversation with the entire body of work and it juggles more thing than more things than Aliens does. Um, because Aliens is very sort of, you know, if you thought one xenomorph was bad, try a whole planet of them sort of thing. <laughs> And like, and like, it's fine. Like, it, it, it the things that, it, like, you know, this was back when James Cameron made like good movies. Uh huh. Um, yeah, that like five year stretch. Yeah, you know, listen, he was on fire for a few of the Reagan years, and it was great. Yeah, it was um, before people gave him money. The second people started giving him money, <laughs> he stopped right. having an ability to make good movies. 
who gave him a submarine? Um, so I think it's better than Aliens. Uh, but uh, right above Aliens is at number 18, we have The Bride of Frankenstein, um, which I, obviously the sequel to Frankenstein. I think I would put The Bride of Frankenstein above Shin Gojira because I think it more effectively sort of, I don't know, embedded itself in the cultural brain space where like when you think of Bride of Frankenstein like every time that I watch it I'm surprised by something new about it like the framing device with Lord Byron and Mary Shelley or the fact that you know like the bride the the, the Bride of Frankenstein herself um straight up rejects Frankenstein and tells him to go fuck himself and <laughs> like there's so much about the Bride of Frankenstein that uh, I feel like and to be fair I have the benefit of having seen it a few times where I've only seen Shin Go- uh, Gojira the once um, but I would be tempted to put The Bride of Frankenstein above it. What do you guys think? Uh, okay. So this, this is really hard. I, I hate the ranking part of even our podcast. Like, it's hard. But mm-hmm. okay, here's, here's some things. First, I agree that, you know, I, I think we, we can discuss, like, Shin Gojira versus 54 Gojira. Um, right. You wouldn't have Shin Gojira without... 1954 Godzilla, especially with the way that it's referencing it, and right. on the mythos, um, in you know, you you say every time you watch Bride of Frankenstein, you find something new. Uh, I find that with Shin Gojira, um, it's very dense. oh yeah. There's always something new for me for my brain to latch on to. So I yeah, it definitely goes above Aliens because in my opinion, Aliens is not a horror movie, but we don't have to get into that. <laughs> oh sure i mean of course it's either an action film a science fiction movie or, or a horror movie or you know it, it's a, <laughs> we've, it's we've a already, james cameron movie we've already covered that your definitions are broader than ours so that's yeah. why um <laughs> it, it, yeah i'm it, actually it surprised we're up here because i i didn't think i was going to be allowed to talk about putting this movie this high up here i was looking down in the 30s as we were discussing <laughs> things when i was planning my range for this because mm-hmm. I didn't think I'd be allowed to be up here in the teens uh, with this movie. But um, listen, world, world's your oyster, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. So on the one hand, Bride of Frankenstein is one of those sequels where it achieves something that I think a lot of sequels wish they could achieve, which is there are scenes in that movie where you go back and you watch the original and you go, Oh, where's the bit where this happens? And someone goes, Oh, that's the sequel. And you're like, right. oh, that's right. For example, um, the stuff with like the blind man in the cabin. Yeah. Right? You're like, oh, wow, that's not till the second one, huh? Um, right. So it has that advantage. The bride herself is very iconic. On the other hand, she doesn't appear until the like last two minutes of the movie. Like you're yeah, like, she really pops up in the last reel of that movie. Yeah, like no, like you're like waiting, and you're like, cool, a bride of Frankenstein, dope, and then like. <laughs> They spend the whole movie making her, and then she she's like, um, they make her. She shows up. She looks at Frank. She's like, fuck you. And he's like, well, I guess we belong dead. And then he blows up the <laughs> castle, and that's the end of the movie, right? Uh-huh. Um, that's it. So, I mean, there's pros and cons to Bride of Frankenstein, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But right above sure. Bride of Frankenstein, you have the original Dracula. Yeah. With Bela Lugosi. Which, Todd Browning, Bela Lugosi, yeah. Yes. And I fucking love that movie. I it's great. Right? I love that movie. It's it's I at some point in time it got trendy to like shit on that movie. 
Um, oh, oh and, fuck, and, fuck that. No. And instead, yeah. <laughs> uh, instead, it's like really trendy to be like, oh, the Spanish version's better. Um, oh, for God's sake. But uh, <laughs> that said, like, it's really, oh, this is such a tough section because like, there is part of me that wants to like, put it just below the 54 and above Dracula. Right. Because Dracula doesn't have anything like the scene where Godzilla lights the whole city on fire. Right. Right. But... Yeah. I mean like, yeah, agree. Well, and, and I don't know. I, I, Sarah, what do you think? Like I did, are there any moments in Shin Gojira that didn't land for you? Um, you know, you mentioned that the CGI is really good. It takes some getting used to for me. Um, like part of it is, uh, in a lot of foreign movies, their CGI budgets aren't Hollywood CGI budgets. Uh, so it's not going to look as good as what someone might be used to. So, you know, some of the shots aren't, don't always land for me. Um, I usually am pretty good at just like, rolling with what the movie provides mm-hmm. um the shot where like they shoot him with trains and when the trains hit him they just kind of like 90 degree shoot right up him like i don't know what the actual physics of shooting a bunch of trains at a kaiju would be but my brain has a hard time with that shot i, I think yeah. it would be similar honestly because of the way that they link they it would be like a train crashing against someone but i, I see your point then um Okay, I'm going to suggest something, and you Go for it. know what you think. Um, I I see where you guys are coming from with Bride of Frankenstein. So what about below Bride but above Aliens, with the acknowledgement that like Bride has had uh, seven, 80 years of time to percolate and mm-hmm. become an iconic film, have the bride become an icon itself, where Shingo Jira has had four years, um, and we're still talking about it. Uh, I think, you know, I think both are very powerful films, but yeah. What, what do you think about that? Below Bride, Above Aliens. I feel pretty good about that. I feel like, I, I mean, you're both totally right. Like, I, I think my, now, and this is my sort of, um, idiot, ugly American perspective, but genuinely, like, I, I, I appreciate, and it's the Roger Ebert thing, right, of, like, what is the movie trying to do and how well does it accomplish that? Yeah. Um, this being a movie about bureaucratic uh, impotence and frustration and how it ultimately can't address uh, crises in a meaningful way, and even while acknowledging that, I was so impatient for Godzilla shit to happen in this movie. Like, <laughs> There, there were so many points at which I could acknowledge what the movie was doing and that that was great, but I wanted to stop watching the council of FE, you know, Japanese politicians playing grab ass. And I wanted to get to God, like, you know, I, I wanted to get to the Godzilla scenes. And I think for me, like oh, having both of those things of it's a bureaucratic thriller. And also I, I want some, I want some Godzilla. Uh, it's funny now, like it's your show, but like you just convinced me to go the other way and want to put it above Bride. And it's because of what you said about like judging a movie on how effective it is at what it's doing. And mm-hmm. what Shin Gojira is doing is 
you know, talking about the ineffectiveness of the Japanese government to respond to crises, right? And right. what Bride of Frankenstein is doing is about telling you that um, the only successful um, relationships that you can have are homosexual relationships, heterosexual relationships. Yeah. Right, heterosexual relationships are inherently doomed. And I feel like Shin Gojira succeeded a lot more at communicating that message than Pride of Frankenstein did at communicating that um, people should rather be dead than be in heterosexual relationships. Listen, I... <laughs> I don't know, Bride of Frankenstein. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, this is actually my thing: is I think I would be very comfortable about putting um, Shin Gojira above Bride of Frankenstein, but below Todd Browning's Dracula at our new number eighteen. I think that that feels pretty good, especially because if we're going with the Roger Roger Ebert test of you know what is it trying to do, Todd Browning's Dracula just is dead fucking center for me like it's exactly the movie i wanted to be yeah todd browning dracula is trying to be the first serious american horror film and it succeeds uh, utterly at doing that all right so coming in at our new number 18 uh, is shin gajira from 2016 uh, ben and Sarah, thank you both so, so much for being on the podcast and talking about this with me. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, my oh, goodness. Oh, it was a complete delight. Uh, where uh, where can our uh, listeners uh, find you at various places on the internet? So they can find our version of the list of uh, the uh, best to worst horror movies up to 1955 at com. They can find us on Twitter at underscore screenscene. Uh, and if they want to listen to our most recent episode, it's not a good one. It, I mean, it's not on a good movie. It's on um, Oh boy, Nita of Lost Women. Uh, it's bad. Oh my god! But it's a fun I'm, episode. Yeah, I, think. I, I need to listen to that like that. It's 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 a very specific movie and and, and yeah yeah thing to I think talk about. it's um, got a if you if you've seen it before, I think it's a fun episode because we go into a lot of um, the story about how that movie was made, which is much more interesting than the movie itself. Um, if you're looking for the show, you can find it on SoundCloud. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, um, all your usual podcast hangouts. Um, if you're looking for uh, me, I'm at Cineast Ben Rowe on Twitter. Um, and uh, if you want to at the podcast, it's at underscore scream scene on Twitter. And I guess yeah, to that point, if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at Stegosaurus, like the dinosaur. Which is my favorite Twitter app, by the way. It was <laughs> Stegosaurus. Like I, that was immediately like, haha, nice. <laughs> uh, folks, uh, as ever, you can find Wreck and Vile on Twitter at Wreck and Vile Cast, where we are permanently and abidingly shitposting. Uh, we are on Tumblr at Rank and Vile and on Instagram at Rank and Vile. If you have a movie that you would like to request us to do, um, you're going to want to send that either to rankandvilecast at gmail.com or to drop it in our ask box on uh, Tumblr. Uh, but yeah, uh, that is about all I've got. Have a good week, folks.